Hello, hello, it's Sunday, which means new episode time. And oh my gosh, it's episode 10. We have done 10 episodes now, and I am just beyond excited how this is going, and I'm just loving it. And welcome. This is Twisted Wicked Crime with me, Christina, and our 10th episode. I'm so excited you're all here on whatever day you listen to me. And again, thank you, thank you. Now, if you're wondering if my husband and I ordered DoorDash for Taco Bell last night, because I said every couple weeks, and that would be the couple week mark, we sadly did not. <laughs> yeah, I was in a bad mood last night. I went to bed early, so yeah, no, no Taco Bell last night, but we'll see. <laughs> now, my husband is working today, so I have my three-year-and-a-half-year-old here. Um, I told her to go watch shows. But she's insistent on being in the room with me, and I told her she had to be quiet. So let's hope that that is true, and hopefully we have no interruptions as we move forward with today's story. Now, she's usually pretty good when I need to record, and I've been very unfortunate these last uh, five episodes, I think. I've had my hubby's help, but today is not one of those cases, so fingers crossed she, she leaves me alone. Um, so today I have a good one for you. It's got a happy ending and just makes you feel good. Not while it's happening, as this is a very real thing that can still happen today. And this case actually terrifies me on every level. But I do love a happy ending. I felt like we needed that today. Just like a good, good hearty true crime story with a happy ending. Now, Jennifer Morey and her amazing, most wonderful dispatcher who kept her going. That is what we are going to talk about today. She went through the most disgusting attack in her own home. Okay, this is what scares me. This is why I have alarms. This is why I have guns. This is very real. So let's talk about the night that this all happened. Now, you know I love to give a good childhood background on who I'm speaking about, um, whether it be the killer, the victim, whoever, whatever I can find, you know I would love to give it to you. However, I could not find a whole lot on this case other than the nitty gritty, the meat and potatoes, if you will, um, just really about what happened. I couldn't really find much about her past. It was just more the case and kind of what happened after. Now, uh, since I could not find any background on Jennifer other than what little I tell you besides the attack, let's get started. Now, on the night of April 5th, 1995, Jennifer, 25 years old, was living her best life. She was super smart and she was killing it at trying to become a lawyer. And she was actually a young and uh, 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 I cannot talk ups. Uprising one. And I'm like, you freaking go, girl. And I'm going to say it. I'm going to say girl power. Don't come at me for that. Just good for her. She knew what she wanted and she knew what she was after. Jennifer just moved into what was considered uh, this fancy new apartment living. It was like living in high class. She deserved this and was crushing it at life. She was happy and she was young and she just knew what she wanted. 
The apartment that she lived in was huge on security. It had 24-7 surveillance by Pinkerton, a well-known company that dates back to 1850. They actually hired the first female in security. And fun fact, Pinkerton is also known to have inside information on the Lincoln assassination. I don't really know how true that is, but that was something that I read and... Pinkerton is a well-known company, so I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> now Pinkerton, they were the first people to come up with the idea of a mugshot. So they are just a huge company and one of the main reasons that Jennifer chose to live here. She was a single woman and she was living alone. She wanted the best perfection. Pro perfection. Protection. My daughter's making me nervous in here. <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> Oh, now I say get it if you want it, right? Live your best life. So on this night of April 5th, she was out with her girls having drinks and just letting loose. She was dancing and being her vibrant self. The night was getting late and Jennifer decides that she needs to go home. Now her friend dropped her off at her Bayou apartment around 2 a.m. I'm going to guess based on the time that the event happens. I'm going to say 2 a.m., maybe 1.30. Um, anyway, <laughs> and this is like a straight-up terrifying one, straight-up horror movie feels okay. Jennifer was tipsy, and it was straight to bed for her, but not before she locked all her windows and doors. Seriously, guys, lock your windows and doors, okay? Please be safe. I know I don't know you all, I know some of you, but I care about you, okay? So please lock your windows and doors. We live in scary times, okay? Jennifer went to bed and fell asleep not knowing what was coming next. Around 3 or 4 a.m., she woke and felt huge pressure on her and was like, what the fuck? She immediately felt someone, a man on top of her with a knife against her neck. <sighs> the goosebumps on me right now and I know what happens and I just I, I can't even imagine what that is like and I definitely do not want to in her head she's like how and why I locked all the windows and doors and there's 24 surveillance so that would be like what was kind of running through my head also while trying to fight back so Jennifer is not only smart and beautiful and killing it at life. She's a badass bitch and starts fighting back, telling herself, don't give up. He's going to rape me. Now this fucker says, stop fighting me, Jennifer. Uh, what? He knows her name. The fear she felt at this moment, her head going a million miles, like her heart is about to give out. Her name he said her name. Jennifer said at this moment she was trying to place his name and trying to recognize his voice, but she can't. Think, she just knows this guy is going to rape her. Now she isn't able to fight him off all the way, so she starts screaming as loud as she can. I assume screaming for help. Now this woke 15 of her neighbors up hearing this. 
and not one of them called the police. Let's pause for a moment and talk about this, okay? So 15 neighbors wake up and hear this and don't do anything. It's like that, uh, what do they call it? The bystander theory. It's like when you see something or think something's not right, but assume that the other people in the area are going to be the one to call the police or take action. And you just are like, I don't want to be involved. Um, Someone else is going to help. Or maybe it's nothing and I'll ignore it. This is just wrong, 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 wrong. I feel like too many times this happens and I'm probably guilty of it too. You see something you're like, I don't want to get myself involved. Somebody else is going to call. But that might not be the case. And you just calling and reporting something that you're seeing or being wrong is not necessarily involving you, but you could be saving a life. So please call the police every time, regardless if you think something might not be wrong but it seemed off to you, okay? Or you know someone else will call. They won't. They probably won't, okay? It's just better to do it. Have a million people call than no one, right? Okay, I just had to say my piece on that because I feel like a lot of cases and more cases that we go into, like people running down the street, like naked, we've already kind of talked about one, like Mary Vincent, when she was armless and trying to get help and people were like passing her by, like, come on guys. Like seriously, it just always makes me a little angry. Now, if I was one of those neighbors, I would have called 911 if my neighbor was screaming bloody murder. Don't know about you all. Now, this man who said her name, so he obviously knows who she is, proceeds to slice her cheek right down to her neck. And there is blood going everywhere. But she isn't giving up on the fight. Now, he took her by the hair and drug her to her own bathroom and then threw her in there by the hair. Ouch, the the pain she must be feeling, like she's been cut, she's being drugged around like a rag doll. An evil man. Jennifer quickly finds a washcloth to apply pressure to her neck wound. Like, smart girl. Okay, I'm a dumb blonde. If I would have made it to this point, I probably wouldn't have. But if I did, I would probably do the same. But my head doesn't go there. It's not like, oh, let me put pressure on the wound. So she's a lot smarter than me. Now, he tells her, don't move or I will kill you. So smart girl. She encloses herself by jamming her legs and arms back between the door and the bathtub. So I imagine it's probably, it's an apartment, so the bathroom's like not like really uh, big. So she's jammed herself up in there to barricade with her body so that nasty boy can't get into the bathroom. Right on, girl. Ooh, this is so intense. Like it makes me think of my um, favorite book ever by Dean Koontz called Intensity. Um, it's a really old book, probably came out around this time. It's not the same concept, but just the adrenaline that is happening and the scary of it all. Um, basically a kidnapper killer and the girl that gets away, like is in his RV and you're seeing the points. Anyway, I'm getting on a rant about my favorite book and that's not what this is about, (laughs) but it's, it, it makes me think of this. Okay. So she waited, which felt like forever, just waiting and waiting, holding her wound bleeding bad until she heard him zip up his pants and leave the area. 
So he left the bathroom area. Now it's time to get out of the bathroom and call the police. She was so bloody, she couldn't grip the handle. And when she finally got it, it wouldn't open. She jammed herself so much in that bathroom to keep Mr. Nasty out that she jammed the door shut and the door wouldn't open. It was jammed. Jennifer said later in an interview, at this moment, all she could do was laugh because she fought so hard to die like this, stuck in the bathroom. Oh, poor girl. She collected herself and found the strength to wash her hands in hopes that she can get out. She did it. With what little strength she had, she got out of that bathroom with mighty force. Now to call the police. Only the lights won't come on and the phone doesn't work. This bastard cut the power to her apartment. Now Jennifer doesn't know for sure if he's left her place. She just heard him leave the bathroom area and it's dark. So not knowing where he is, she actually grabbed her cell phone, which was extremely rare to have in 1995. I pictured the Zach Morris phone, right? For those of you that aren't my age and young, Saved by the Bell reference, Zach Morris had this huge cell phone, like a cordless phone almost. Now this is what Jennifer had and thank God it was charged. Oh my gosh, my heart would be like, I don't even know. The power's cut, no phone line. You just, you're bleeding to death. You need the police. And thank God she had one of these rare cell phones from back then and cell phones from back then. I can't talk today. I'm telling you, my daughter's in here. She's making me nervous. Now, God bless cell phones and God bless the dispatcher that she gets. I love him and you are going to love him too. Now, Jennifer goes back to the bathroom and locks herself in and calls 911. Okay, I would probably go back to the bathroom too. Extra barrier, extra, you know. Richard Everett was one of the dispatchers that night slash early morning. And this was his first shift ever. And wow, he is truly her guardian angel, you guys. Like, wow, this is his first shift too. And I'm just like, wow, dude, you are a freaking hero. He is just the best, everyone, okay? He was calm, told her to keep applying that pressure to the wound. He asked her if she was cut or hurt anywhere else, and she said no. Then he proceeded to tell her how to check since she was so hurt in one area. Richard kept talking to her and keeping her alert, telling her the ambulance and police are on their way. Ten minutes later, there was a knock at her door. She asks, what should I do? He says, ask who it is. She says, who is it? A man replies with, it's Brian Gibbons, the security guard with Pinkerton on duty. And I was just attacked by a guy who jumped off your balcony and there's blood. And I just want to make sure you're okay. Jennifer says to Richard, it's the security guard. He's just checking on me. Richard says, do not open that door. Jennifer doesn't understand. He's the security guard and wants to check on her. Richard again tells her, do not open that door because no one in your building has been notified of this incident yet. She says, but he works for the company who protects us. Richard tells her, I have this gut feeling 
and I don't feel good about this. Do not open that door. Whoo, way to go with your gut feeling. I always say follow your gut, and I'm the person who says that and doesn't do it, but your gut is like, right, like 90% of the time, probably more. She tells Brian, I am not letting you in. Brian, from outside, starts getting frantic, saying, I want to help you. Are you hurt? I saw someone jump off your balcony. Do you need me to call 911? She tells Brian the cops are already on their way. He proceeds to say, I know I can hear them. Now let me in. Richard keeps telling her, do not let him in. He doesn't like the feel of this. She's telling Richard, I'm really worried about the amount of blood I'm losing. Richard the angel is keeping her calm and comfortable as much as possible, letting her know help is right around the corner. After all that pounding on the door and the insistence of Brian let, wanting to let, well, let him in, silence came. And then there was the sweet sound of sirens. Oh my God, the relief that she must be feeling. The ambulance arrives and Brian goes up to them right away with a cut on his hand and his face. And he's also a little bloody. He proceeds to tell them that he's a night guard and he was patrolling and saw a man jump from Jennifer's balcony and immediately started to attack him. And when he was engaged with him, he slammed him on the ground and then the, sli the stranger sliced his hand and then ran off into the woods. This is when he instantly went to check on Jennifer, but she wouldn't open the door. But he was worried that she was hurt. Now this, when police arrive and stuff, is around 6 a.m. So it's kind of light out, the sun is rising, Police start to see no evidence of footprints running off and no blood. Found it very odd that someone would jump off of a second-story balcony without being hurt somewhere. Police pick up on this weird vibe Brian is giving, and they detain him. Which doesn't mean anything, really. They just need to ask him more questions. Jennifer, at this point, was got by way and well she she was gotten and was taken to the hospital that cut that her attacker did in her neck missed her jugular by only a couple milliliters it was super deep and doctors didn't understand how her facial nerves weren't damaged the cut also went up to her right eye and barely missed it she could have lost her eye i ugh. The, when she probably heard this, oh my gosh, the goosebumps I have right now, the feeling that she must have had. Now, it caught, when he cut her, it caught a gold chain that her mother gave her at graduation, like super sweet that she wore, like, oh. If she wasn't wearing this and it didn't catch that gold chain, it could have cut her larynx. Oh, she was so lucky. And God bless Richard for not telling her to open that door. Cops enter her apartment and there was blood everywhere. Now in this mess, they found men's underwear and a bloody knife. And lastly, a Pinkerton black security hat. This dumbass left it all behind. In case you didn't know by now, Brian is our attacker. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure he was afraid when Jennifer fought him off and he forgot it, but I'm not 100% sure. 
Now, then he probably went back to get his things and finish her off. Police see all this and they go back to Brian. They want to question him some more and things just aren't adding up. They asked Brian to take off his shirt. He refused and said, no, I was only trying to help her. They again said, no, take off your shirt. When he finally does, there are scratch marks and defense wounds that line up with what Jennifer had told them. Because she had told them, you know, in the hospital that she was fighting him off. And yeah, I don't know. They also noticed that he isn't wearing any underwear and he is very clean shaved down there. Now he planned this and he didn't want to leave any of those hairs behind, if you will. Disgusting. Just disgusting. So why did he leave his things? Was it like I said that he was caught off guard by her fighting and ran away? Or that cops believe what I mentioned in the second that he left them to purposely go back and finish the job when um, she barricaded herself in the bathroom. He left those things to hopefully get back in and get those things. Now, his full name is Brian Wayne Gibson, and he really shouldn't have been hired by Pinkerton. He had several complaints filed against him. He was 26 years old and had been with the company for three years. And he was getting a ton of complaints, sexual complaints, you name it. Now, he got into an altercation with one of um, the people that he was guarding. I don't even know, like, the correct terminology for that. Um, and the company was like, okay, we're just going to reassign you to something else. Not, you've had several complaints against you. You're a pervert. You had an altercation. Like, you're out of here. You're gone. Which, by the way, Pinkerton didn't do background checks on any of their employees, which is a huge problem because in Texas, like a few years before that, one of their employees went haywire and killed somebody. And just the slew of complaints against their guards um, was just insane. So instead of this company saying, oh, you're fired, they reassigned him to night duty at Jennifer's apartment complex where there were a lot of young women. He was a sexual predator, and if the company had done a background check, he wouldn't have been hired. Just saying. Jennifer had said he was like a kid in a candy store getting that assignment. I... I just... It just angers me, right? So Brian obviously got some time... For this, now he got 20 years for attempted murder and he's currently out on parole. So if he was 26 years old at the time, if I did the math, there was 95. Who's to say he's not going to do that stuff again? Oh my gosh, there's like weird noise outside. Like he's not super old, but not super young to say that like he can't still do that. It's just super scary to think about that he's walking around out there, free man. He's a disgusting man. Jennifer immediately moved out of that apartment and back in with her mother. I understand that. Like, even though he was caught, like, you would never feel safe again. I would never feel safe in in that home. Now, she was having a really hard time. She was very traumatized from it all. She had a hard time leaving her mother's side, and she wasn't sleeping. Now, she did get some help, and later... 
you know, as she was getting the therapy and everything, she started to realize, like, I survived this. I overcame this. He's in jail. He can't hurt me. I'm a strong woman. I had goals. I'm going to go after them. And so she realized that, you know, through therapy that she is worth it and she shouldn't be living in fear. So awesome Jennifer became a director of trauma to help others who have been through something similar. And she did a lot of public speakings and meetings and all kinds of stuff. Like she is just awesome. Now she met a wonderful man years later and got married. But of course, Richard, remember Richard, our dispatcher, how could you forget him? He's just adorable. Um, They are super good friends. And he was at the wedding. Like, oh, I don't know if he was in the wedding, but he was at the wedding. And I think I read that they are still good friends today. Like, how adorable is that? Now, she did go on to be that great lawyer, and she opened up her own law firm, which is a family practice. Now, she focuses on family law, and I think that is awesome. Now, this practice is still open today, and it's doing very well. So, yay, Jennifer! Oh, I'm so happy she's, like, doing well, and just, I love happy endings, right? So, as for Pinkerton, they are still around, and I really hope they're fully doing background checks. There was just, they had too many incidents with their employees. Like, did they finally get smart? I don't know. I'm not trying to bash Pinkerton. It's just, why wouldn't you do background checks? I'm sure they do them now, but that's so important when you're doing a job. Do background checks, especially for security. Oh, that terrifies me. I just love a good survival story. It's such a nice cleanse after that awful one we did last week. It really is. And I'm going to bring you Toy Box Killer soon. So I feel like I should throw a, a good one in there. I'm not doing Toy Box Killer next story, but he's coming in a couple weeks. He is. I'm going to get him out there and over it, over with it because there are a couple really gnarly, nasty ones that I want to do too. And um, I feel like he's... I did the Ken and Barbie killers and I feel like they were like an icebreaker, but he's like mega bad, like mega, mega, mega bad. I feel like once I tell his story, the other ones that I tell won't seem as bad, even though they're just as awful. I don't, I really don't know how to sugarcoat things. This is a true crime podcast. We're going to talk about survivors. We're going to talk about serial killers. We're going to talk about wives who kill their husbands. We're going to talk about it all. We're going to talk about children who get killed and fortunately, and we're going to talk about children who kill. It's not something I like to talk about, especially kids, but it needs to be said. It needs to be heard because it does happen. And this is a true crime podcast. So we need to do the nitty gritty. We need to get down to it. I need to tell you every story that I can find and research. And, you know, we're here. We're doing this. We're on episode 10. Oh my gosh, 10. Ah, oh my gosh. Well, Since uh, next weekend is Easter, I will not be doing a new episode. I'm going to take uh, this week off and this weekend off from the podcast, Um, but I will be back the following weekend, so not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that. I don't know the date. Don't quote me on that. Uh, Not So my daughter has an Easter egg hunt um, on Saturday. Um, otherwise I'd try to get it to you early, but, um, I'm just not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to record on that Saturday because there's going to be so much going on. 
And then Sunday is Easter. Um, I don't really do anything for Easter, but um, my husband's working that day, so it'll just be me and my daughter. But I do want to kind of spend some time with her and do the Easter thing. And she's sneaking up on me right now. Um, so I just kind of want to relax and take the day. And I want you guys to all enjoy your families too and have a happy Easter. So with that said, I hope everyone has a beautiful week and a wonderful Easter weekend. And don't forget, you can follow me on Insta at Twisted Wicked Crime the Pod to see these people. Or you can shoot me an email at Twisted Wicked Crime the Podcast at gmail.com. As always, it's been fun, and I will catch you all in a few weeks. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.